0: Our guest today on Decisions That Matter is Cheryl Mankey. She currently serves as the Marketing and Relationship Manager for the state of Washington, where she has worked in public procurement for over 15 years. Cheryl has a broad set of skills and experience, from championing new technology in government to bringing a people-focused approach to procurement. But in our conversation, the two things that really stood out to me the most were her ability to turn innovative ideas and strategic vision into reality and her insistence on doing the right thing for the right reason without ever letting go of her core purpose. Our discussion was a pleasure for me, and I think you're really gonna enjoy this one. Welcome to the Decisions That Matter podcast, where we meet with leaders from across the procurement community to discuss innovative and strategic ideas. Because when it comes to procurement, every decision matters. Really great to have you as our first official guest. One thing I really wanted to to start with is tell me a little bit about how you got into public service in the first place. I know uh, you worked in the private sector a little bit before joining the state of Washington. How did you come to that decision?
1: Absolutely. I'd be happy to share so, it was a major life decision I needed to make. So, following nearly 20 years in private sector contract law and then contract management, I had various leadership roles from international investment management contracts, mm-hmm. where Martha Stewart and the WWF wrestlers were my clients, and the Guest oh, wow. Brothers and Richie Sambora. So super exciting, multi-million dollar contracts, uh, doing acquisitions and mergers across the globe but down in San Diego or working at managing licensing agreements for Nintendo where I was meeting with the Rolling Stones or Ken Griffey Jr. for his likeness and his name in video games, things like that. I was getting to a point in my career and in my life where I really wanted to make more of a difference. So all of these things were really fun and interesting and really intense contracting. It wasn't really meeting my need to help the community. So being from Washington, local to this area, I made a life choice to move back to the Olympia area, which is the capital of Washington, and get into public service. I applied for a state job here at the Capitol because I really wanted to take my contracting experience and see if I could apply that to public procurement. I really wanted to learn government contracting where I could touch lives in our community. So I moved back here and I applied for my first state job.
0: And you you basically, that, that plan worked out pretty well, it seems like, right? You went straight into a job that was related pretty much directly to that contracting experience, right?
1: Yes, and it was funny because I had my first interview for a contract specialist job, almost entry level, but my mindset was I've never worked in public procurement or dealt with government contracts, and I was so concerned that there was so much more at stake we, through those contracts, are touching lives. We are helping people stay safe and mm-hmm. healthy. And, you know, you have vulnerable populations, children at risk, elderly, disabled. There's so much more, at least in my mind, and then that became reality really quickly <laughs> that I really wanted to be sure that I was able to learn from the ground up and actually get that hands-on experience working with developing those contracts and learning from that level up before I got into a management role. So I did, I took a contract specialist job and it lasted two weeks before a manager recognized that I was way overqualified and wanted to put me in charge of all of the social and health services contracts for the entire state. And so uh, that was a lot of pressure, but it really was the rewarding, making a difference job that I was looking for, and it opened my eyes really quickly to the reach that public procurement has when I got to go out into those institutions and see the difference I was making. My contracts were literally keeping a roof over the heads of these children that didn't get to go home at night. They needed to live in these hospitals And I was keeping them there. I was keeping them fed and clothed and the roof over their head and their beds and everything they needed, their medical supplies, their food, their medicine. And it just solidified why I made this change and why public procurement is so important. And then from there, I just continued to grow into leadership roles and was really blessed to end up leading projects for the legislature after that, exploring things like fuel hedging, standing up our first big statewide card program, and then being able to move on to leading procurement teams for health and services across the state, and then becoming ultimately the central procurement office manager or chief procurement officer for the state. So it really did work out and I've been
0: very blessed. That's such a great journey. And I think that your sentiment there about the work that you're doing really is helping thousands and thousands of people in your state um, every single day. That's the kind of thing that I think is kind of easy to overlook. When you hear about stories about public procurement in the news, maybe, or on local channel six or whatever it might be, it's, it's oftentimes the one out of a thousand contracts that potentially went bad not necessarily the hundreds and hundreds of things that are amazing for the the citizens of your state, the citizens of Washington every single day. Um, So it's great to hear that that's sort of the mindset that got you into it and is actually also how it played out for you. So, so that's great. So, so right now fast forward a little bit to, to present time. Am I right in that your current, your current role is marketing and relationship manager for the state?
1: Yes. So Another blessing I've had really in this profession is that we realized when I was in the chief procurement officer seat that my time was divided. I needed to be out in the field with our communities. A good example of that is when we had the Oso mudslide Mm
0: -hmm.
1: a few years back. It wiped out a community. They were not only taking many lives, so sadly, it cut off small towns from the ability to receive food and supplies, and their power was out, their phones, their cell, their internet, everything was down. And while they worked to recover that, which our agency helped with from the emergency standpoint, they sent me up there to help the governor's office and others with economic recovery. So it was about how can we rebuild this community, how can we use public procurement, government contracts, vendor relationships, community relationships, agency relationships, to all pitch in and help them rebuild. And so I needed to be there week in and week out. Mm -hmm. I also serve on several national boards that I need to be at meetings for or events for so that I am helping to influence procurement change nationally. And then we also need somebody here in the office to watch the store to to be here on top of the contracts managing the hr issues the leave the people the time all of that so i was able to divide my role into two and i took the part that is out with the people that's really where my passion is and so the current title is marketing relationship manager, because we're out there spreading the word about how procurement can help you. So it's not marketing from a necessarily a sales standpoint, but what can we do to help you, our customers and our vendor community and be good partners. And it is all about relationships and communication and bringing people along into the future of procurement. So my, Two key projects this year have been the One Washington project, which is a statewide ERP project, helping lead the procurement community into that new world of using technology, mm-hmm. which we desperately need. And then also helping to implement the governor's toxic reduction executive order and bringing the procurement community along in that because Both of those have such an impact to our end users, to our customers, but also impact our procurement community, the people doing the jobs. And so because they're so affected by these projects, you've got to bring them along from day one and keep that open communication line, help them understand the why when you're bringing in significant changes so that they are part of the solution and helping you identify barriers. And then at the end of the day, when it comes time to implement these significant changes, you've already built that trust, those relationships, they already know what's coming, why it's coming, and together you can get there to make those improvements that really impact the citizens of the state because you will hopefully, if things are successful as planned, these projects, and with your group effort, we'll bring those community improvements that come through better contracting, better procurements.
0: Absolutely. So for the toxic reduction program, is that more making sure people are purchasing things that are environmentally conscious or is it more about implementing things uh, sort of on the back end potentially that make, make life a little, little better and reduces that waste for people?
1: It's actually both. You're spot on. So, leading a central procurement office where agencies are purchasing through our contracts for the most part, we are in a leadership role there because we have the biggest impact. And so, what can we do with our procurement leaders from across the agencies at the table, as well as our vendor communities? Mm-hmm do to partner with ecology and with the governor's office and with commerce who's leading this environmental effort to look at what we are putting on contract, what safer choice alternatives are out there that we can then make available to agency buyers to purchase from through our contracts that we put in place. But it's also working with the suppliers so they understand why we need toxic-free floor cleaners, for example, instead of what they currently were offering. And then making sure that they truly meet the need, that they can do the job, that the quality is there, the performance, and then also the cost is reasonable because there are so many barriers to making shifts like that if they don't work, if they cost too much, et cetera. Partnering to make sure that everything is in alignment before we try to make those changes.
0: That makes total sense. So one one question I had on that is: so, so you're involved with a couple of the national associations um, related to procurement. Is this sort of focus on that that toxic waste reduction or the environmentalism something that you see across majority of states? Is that something that you think Washington is sort of a leader on? People are still catching up, or is it sort of a that kind of spread across the board just depending on where the focus is for these different offices.
1: That's a great question. So Washington being in the Pacific Northwest and being the environmental state leader, we have assumed that we are either alone in this journey or at least leaders in this effort. Mm -hmm. So, We in the last year participated in a benchmarking study that was national across the states, including cities and counties, so that we could see where we are, because you don't know, unless you are willing to be vulnerable and look under the covers and look across at what others are doing, you really don't know, you are making assumptions as to how you are doing where you should be focusing, where your gaps mm-hmm. are, where your strengths are. So we participate in this benchmarking study that showed us which states, which cities, which counties are actually focused on environmental and toxic reduction and what they're doing better than we are doing, the same, where we measure up, where we don't, where we fall short, and where we can grow. And it was really eye-opening to see that there are states, cities, and counties across the country that are focused on this, and in some areas even better than Washington. So it gave us an idea of who to talk with, who to look to, who to learn from, and then where we can grow. So we're super excited about that. And it's not just in the Northwest. There are other states in the east, in the central region, that are doing fabulous things. So, And, as, of course, as well as the west coast. But yeah. um, we're looking forward to working with them and growing because of them. Now, of course, with that said, it's not a, as much of a priority, it doesn't seem, in some other regions or other states, but it is definitely something that is growing rapidly because of the climate concerns that we have globally really
0: yeah of course i mean that's really good to hear it's it's also really interesting to hear just even how you think about it from that baseline standpoint of like all right this is the state of the state this is where we stand now this is where we stand in relation to some other people and then that ability because of how connected you can be on a national scale now with other people in cities states counties to be able to learn from what they're doing successfully what they're doing not so successfully that's that's a really cool thing that you you're right now.
1: Thank um, you. Yeah, we're really excited.
0: To pivot a little bit, one question that I wanted to ask you is what do you think in general, you've spent I want to say 15 or 16 years in the procurement space now. What do you think is is one of the more overlooked strategies procurement professionals could use to kind of really help to create those efficiencies, help make immediate Im- improvements whether it's the type of contracting they're doing, something like that that could really kind of help take them from where they're at now to that next level.
1: Absolutely. So it's funny. I share an office with our former CIO and former deputy assistant director, and he's always teasing me because he and I are on the one Washington e-procurement ERP project together for the state leading that as co-leads but he's always teasing me that since the day I walked through the door almost 16 years ago when he was back in the CIO role I immediately walked into his office because I'd come in from private sector where we had every technology available to us when I came into government I thought oh my goodness how archaic these <laughs> systems are. We're using these, you know, Excel spreadsheets and cut and paste and <laughs> keeping <Yeah. laughs> manual logs. And so I marched into his office and he'll never forget it. And I said, What the heck's going on with the lack of technology and procurement? <laughs> and I had been trying to get them to move to a more digital space since the day I came in and I actually took him around and showed him what capabilities are out there some other possibilities even what some other agencies were using at the time and that we did not need to be doing things manually Mm -hmm. and I feel like that is still the case today 15 plus years later that while some are so I don't want to paint a full picture for uh, or paint everyone with the same brush. Yeah,
0: of course.
1: The full use of technology in public procurement, unfortunately, is a huge gap. There's so much potential out there available to us to help make us uh, data-driven decisions to help keep us informed. I feel like the struggle is constant that we aren't able to provide full answers or Give full information because we lack spend data, we lack other data, but it's out there, and it could apply to procurement. There are so many tools and solutions, but we need to be bold and innovative and fight for the tools that we need to do our jobs better I and mean, we constantly have the legislature, for example, asking us how we're doing on diverse spend on environmental spend Mm -hmm. and we're constantly having to tell them we don't know we can only make a best guess which is really weak and then we don't know those decisions and that data help us inform our future contracts it helps us know how to shift and adjust and without those tools to give us that true information we're constantly guessing and we're lacking so that's been a challenge for me moving into this space and still is.
0: Yeah. Do you think a lot of that is there's a sort of barrier to access to that information or the technology, whether it's the budget to actually implement it or legal issue not allowing you to use it? Or is it for a lot of people just really not even knowing what technology is out there or what exists? Or is it some combination of the two maybe?
1: Yeah. I feel like it's a combination of all of it. I I've seen and am still experiencing the budget constraints and but I also see other possibilities other solutions to get around that so there is a lot of fear I think and risk aversion but that's the nature of our business we are very rule based We've got to be sure that we are staying within our lines. Mm-hmm. We, so it's hard to push the envelope in any direction. But being brave and being bold and making this happen one way or another, or at least asking and being aware of what's out there is paramount. We've got to at least be willing and able to step up and ask for what we need and then hopefully work through the budgetary restrictions yeah. or challenges. Uh, and we may not get it at the end of the day if there are true budge- budgetary restrictions, but at least we know what's out there.
0: Yeah, and you know what you want and you know it can help you do the best possible job. So that's that's always important.
1: Exactly. And in the meantime, just using tools that are available to us even at no cost and Mm -hmm. creating dashboards and project management tools, tracking using Trello, for example, or other tools that allow us to know how we're doing and stay on top of our business, to track our spend to the best of our ability, to understand the diverse minority small businesses we're partnering with, the toxins that we're purchasing, or the healthier choices—all of that—we've got to at least use what is available to us yeah. to be sure that we're able to be aware.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So another question that I wanted to ask you, and it's something that we ask a lot around here, and we talk about a lot. Do you have a best experience you've had working with a supplier? And then on on top of that also, uh, is there a worst experience that you've had working with a supplier? For best and worst, do you have any good examples of that?
1: I sure do. So the best supplier experience was one who really felt like a true partner versus an adversary or just somebody that signed up to provide something and we didn't ever really speak until there was an issue. A true partner we were able to have open dialogue that was honest that we were able to get together monthly or quarterly at least and have really productive meetings where we could lay everything out on the table and just have those conversations and continuously improve together for our mutual customer and one where The supplier partner understood that their customer was our customer and that we were in this together it was truly both of ours and so their successes were our successes their challenges were our challenges and it inspired and motivated us to move forward together to constantly be humble enough to look at how things were going And have those conversations and then adjust and bring the customer in. So it became a three-way partnership so we could fix things together, which is the opposite of some supplier relationships, unfortunately, that aren't willing to do that. So then when a customer does have an issue, they aren't on the same page as us to resolving it, or they aren't on the same page as the customer where they're in denial or refusing to fix it, placing blame, and then it just becomes adversarial, and then you have a contract management issue, and you know you've seen those result in suspension and termination, where if it were like the best supplier relationship, we would have worked through it all together and been ahead of it right up front.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the kind of relationship, too, that, I mean, it's the best for them. It's the best for you in terms of your working relationship with the supplier. And it's really, at the end of the day, is the best for whoever the end user is going to be, too, whether that's uh, different agencies in the state, whether that's a police department or a fire department or a school, um, or whether it's just a citizen of of the state of Washington. So it's kind of one of those win-win-win situations when you have that sort of relationship set up. Uh, so that's, exactly that's and then when it
1: comes yes and it comes back to what i said up front well the reason why i got into this profession is at the end of the day like you were mentioning who are the customers on this it's either mm-hmm. the, the taxpayers and citizens and vulnerable populations of our state or it's those that are keeping them healthy and safe trying to do their job yeah. and that's our job especially in central procurement is to help our agencies be able to fulfill their business missions, which is to keep citizens safe and healthy or happy or their needs met. You know, So it's so imperative that we keep that great relationship with that supplier and help them understand the impact. They ultimately are in public service as well. Yeah. And so if you can help – them see that right out of the gate and really truly onboard them help them understand their contract help them understand their mission and why this is so important then hopefully they'll own that and be open to working with you as a partner
0: yeah absolutely um so so to put you on the spot a little bit do you have an example of the worst experience you've had with a supplier
1: I sure do, sadly. And one where, if they truly understood and cared about what we just talked about, who their customer is, and why their service is so important, then I would hope this would not have happened. But so you know, we do such due diligence in selecting our suppliers on our state contracts, especially those that work firsthand with vulnerable populations that I've mentioned throughout this podcast, um, which have a special place in my heart. But so this particular situation was for children who are blind or sight impaired or deaf and hard of hearing. And we have to contract for, as a great example of why we do this job, charter bus services to take those children to their special school and then home again on the weekends because they live at the school during the week so they aren't going back and forth because they can come from all over our state and the Mm -hmm. schools are just located in one city. So, these bus drivers may have to drive them for hours to take them home for the weekend. And so, they have got to pass the most strict reference checks, tests, um, everything possible. You know, the responsibility, the responsiveness, all of that has got to be top notch because of the job they're being hired to do. And unfortunately, we've had two bad experiences with drivers under a company that we hired or companies. It's been years and years, but who, where the drivers were not responsible, unfortunately, and put the children at risk. Uh, one incident fortunately didn't end up in any incidents happening, but the parents at the other end on pickup recognized that the driver was impaired. The other, when the parents went to pick up their children from the driver, their child had eaten, a blind child had eaten the seat arm on the bus, which contained foam and plastics and several toxins that are not safe to digest and had to be rushed to the hospital. And these are extreme situations, but this is an example of the challenge we have in procurement and how our heart breaks when our contracted supplier. Somehow, you ask yourself, what did we do wrong? What did we miss for something like that to happen? And on the surface, it appears that everything looks stellar. And so, how do we improve in situations like that where something like that can never, ever happen? So, to this day, and we wonder, what could we do better? What could we do different? And again, those are extreme examples, and hopefully, Not that I'm aware, has anything like that ever happened again? But when you're hiring a company under a contract, you are hiring their team. Mm -hmm. You're hiring their employees. So, yes, we're doing reference checks on the company. And we are doing uh, information gathering on who makes up that company, who will be asked to be responsible for the duties to be fulfilled under that contract. But how are we following up on those actual duties being performed? How are we staying on top of that without riding on the bus with them, for example? But how can we guarantee that?
0: Yeah, and and as much as you can learn about not just the overarching company, but the people who are actually working there and, and, and sort of the track record of success, I mean, the better it is. So that, I, I really appreciate you, you sharing that story since it's not necessarily a happy story, but it's definitely a story that is, is important. And it's a good example of kind of, when you think about the multitude of different types of things that you're, whether it's services or goods that you're purchasing as a procurement professional, there's such a wide variety of the type of things that you need, you need to purchase that there's, you have to take in so many things into consideration Um, whether it's the quality of the product itself, whether it's the quality of the people who are working for the companies, all that stuff really does come into play. So I really appreciate you sharing that one. Um, Absolutely.
1: And of course, they were immediately terminated in both situations and um, everything was taken care of. However, it's just lessons learned and reminders of how important our work is.
0: Absolutely. So one final question that I like to ask is, Do you personally have any mentors or peers uh, who have been exceptionally influential on your career and sort of how you approach procurement? Maybe somebody who you've really learned a lot from and would like to kind of shout out or tell a story about.
1: Absolutely. So I'm always looking to learn from others. I feel like the more you can Look to others to continually improve and grow yourself, the better off you are. And when I came into public procurement, especially because it was a new profession, I brought my contracting background, but I did not know government contracting. And I was so concerned about who we were serving and getting it right. I really wanted to look up to someone and learn from them. And I would have to say that was the amazing Christine Warnock, who was uh, my former CPO. She was the CPO at the time when I came into central procurement in the role before I took on that role, and I learned every day from her. We are so alike that (laughs) people to this day, 15 years later, and she's been in this 25 years, I think. But, to this day, people confuse us. They just did last week in front of our entire division. They call us each other's names, um, and we become best friends over the years. But it's because we also are so different. We are complete opposites, and I feel like that has really served us both well, but especially me in that we tend to lean toward people who are just like us completely, Mm -hmm. but I feel like then we aren't growing as much because we're so similar. I am a visionary. I am a Walt Disney, anything's possible kind of gal. And Christine is very rural and detail driven which is why she's in policy for procurement right now, leading statewide policies, which is a perfect fit for her, I think. Yeah, you need a little both, of both, right? Right? Yeah, and we're both strategists, thing. right? We, we are yin and yang. I even bought her a yin and yang necklace at one point <laughs> nice. because it takes both sides of that to make a whole But you have to be willing to see that and to play off of it and learn from it and complement each other. And she and I have done that for a decade and a half and we just make this perfect pair, this dream team, because we are willing to utilize each other's strengths and pause and listen to the other side before we move forward together in unison. And so she and I have, done presentations, taught classes, done trainings, like at the NASPO stage um, and we don't even prepare or practice or rehearse what we are going to speak to in our slide deck because Mm -hmm. we know when we get up there, we will just complete each other's sentences. We will bring both sides of the coin to the table. And that for me has been the best mentoring that I could ever receive. So I, she slows me down and helps me see reality and make sure that I'm checking all the boxes and remember all the details. And I speed her up and tell her it's okay. Let's be bold. Let's do this. (laughs) And so it's really, really worked well. But especially coming in cold, she really helped me learn all the rules of the road for procurement. And while at the same time, inspiring me to see the vision of where I could land in procurement in the future. And I really, really appreciate her and respect her so much. And she could be running the world if she wanted to, and I'd be right there by her side.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. That's, That's so great to hear. I'm sure there's people out there listening who are like, man, I I, I need to go find that. I need to go find someone who who I can have that relationship with. Good. Do you have any other remarks you wanted to share? Just how
1: fortunate we are to be in this incredible profession that is really overlooked and underappreciated, but... We have so much potential for greatness and we need to just keep evolving and remaining relevant and staying connected. The biggest takeaway for me from this profession in addition to the public service we do and the people we serve and the difference we make is that we truly are a family. And that's something that you feel like when you go to NIGP Forum, when you have 2,000 people there Mm -hmm. from U.S. and Canada, that you feel you hear the word family a lot. And it is so true. And just keeping those connections, making those connections, and staying joined at the hip, realizing you're not alone in this is so helpful and so important so that we can keep evolving and keep making a difference and learning and leaning on each other and just taking this into the future. So thank you for what you're doing to help us get there.
0: Of course. Of course. Happy to do it. Well, thank you so much for joining us on decisions that matter today. I I really did enjoy our conversation. Great to talk to you. And I'm sure we'll talk again in the very near future here.
1: Sounds great. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you, Cheryl. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Decisions That Matter. This podcast is brought to you by Procurated, the leading supplier evaluation tool for procurement professionals across the U.S. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. See you again next time.